This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Today I'd like to call y'all attention to 1 Corinthians 3:18-23. And when you find it, would you please stand? Verse 18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seem to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. Let's pray. Father, again we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, looking to you as we uh, focus in on this passage. Father, we, we regard it as your truth given to us, truth made known, revealed, written for our benefit, for our growth and grace and in spiritual knowledge. And Lord, we understand that all that depends on Your work within us. So we pray that You open up our minds to receive this morning from Your Word. I ask that You enable me to speak deliver the message You would have delivered here, and enable all of us to receive and understand and grant us wisdom to apply. May our understanding of You be increased. May our gratitude for all that You've done in our behalf be increased. And may all of this bring glory and honor and praise to You. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In these verses, which which really uh, form one paragraph, um, verses 18 through 23, um, at least I... I think that's correctly so. It's the way some of the editors have done it. And I think correctly so. Um, we have basically Paul's summation, the Apostle Paul's summation of the argument that he's been making in the previous uh, chapters. So, um, there, there are basically two, two sections here. Uh, first of all, um, verses 18 through 20, and then verses 21 through 23 which again kind of sum up the, the problem in the church of Corinth. And uh, each, each section there, those, those two sections I just mentioned, both start with this phrase, let no one. Verse 18, it's let no one deceive himself. 
Verse 21 is, let no one boast in men. And so, in the first, first section there, verses 18 through 20, um, Paul is uh, again summing up and closing out his argument um, against the Corinthians because of their pursuit of worldly wisdom, which in reality, here's where some of the irony comes in. Some of the wording gets a little confusing, but the, the worldly, quote, wisdom that they have become enamored with is in reality foolishness. And on the other hand, that which is considered foolishness by the world is the true wisdom. So the true wisdom is that which is of God, specifically the gospel. Paul refers uh, to back in uh, 117 as the word of the cross. And then uh, Christ crucified in two different places there in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The gospel. The gospel is the true wisdom. That is God's, God's plan of redemption. In fact, the working out of it. God's redemptive history is the true wisdom, but it's considered foolishness by the world. And then on the other hand, what they consider wisdom, what the world considers wisdom, is the true foolishness considered so by God. So Paul kind of sums that up in verses 18 through 20 and then makes reference again to their, to their schisms in verses 21 through 23 that he also dealt with earlier. That is uh, what I referred to earlier as personality-driven Divisions in the church. Now, those things are interrelated. Uh, in other words, it seems that you have these personality-driven divisions because of what the Corinthians perceive to be wisdom. And so they, they look at one man as being um, more wise or, or perhaps a, a group of teachers as being more wise in a worldly sense or more gifted. So you've got personality-driven divisions within the church based on who is considered to be wise, most wise, or most gifted. And it seems to me that they're they're even confusing uh, um, some of the the genuine teachers here. In other words, we know that they've set a policy against Paul and vice versa, and against Peter. So you have genuine teachers of the gospel here who uh, nevertheless are being esteemed and regarded in a wrong way. So Paul uh, dealing with that again in these last couple of uh, last few verses. Um, and in so doing, that is in their, in their divisions and their pursuit of worldly wisdom, they are behaving as those who are void of the Spirit. Behaving as mere humans, as he says back in verse 4 of chapter 3. That's just kind of, again, a summation. The Corinthians are behaving. Paul is telling them, you're called. You're called to be saints. You have the Spirit of God. But in your behavior, in your conduct, you are acting like those who do not have the Spirit. So what he's saying is you're too worldly. The church is, it has taken on a worldly posture. You're acting like the world. You've kind of, in your behavior and in your thinking, reverted back to where you were before, having a a wrong esteem of men and a wrong esteem for um, this world system and the the thought, um, kind of the thought process of this world. There's a third problem, uh, which is their their personal attitude toward Paul, and he's going to deal with that in chapter 4. We've mentioned that a little bit before, so I wanted to mention it again. 
But Paul's going to go uh, into that in chapter 4. So right now he's just, again, dealing with these main two things. Their pursuit of wisdom, worldly wisdom, or the wisdom of this age, and the divisions among them. So I'm going to break this up into two main parts, uh, as, as I just outlined there. Uh, the first just being don't, don't, um, don't be deceived. That is, let no one deceive himself, as he says in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. So again, what's behind this? Well, we have to think back a little bit and just do a little bit of a recap before we move on to the next verses. Um, Paul says, verse 18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, that is again it is written, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So, just a recap of his argument against their uh, pursuit of worldly wisdom. Verse 18, Let no one deceive himself. And let me just point this out. I think that's uh, significant the way Paul says that. The problem in the Corinthian church is self-deception. Self-deception. That is, they're, they're thinking of themselves more highly than they ought. They're thinking of men specifically teachers, certain teachers, more highly than they ought. And in the process of that, they're devaluing the gospel. They are um, self-deceived in that they think uh, themselves to be wise, not because they, they, they know and hear the Word of God, believe the Word of God. They're not looking to that as wisdom but their own, their own thoughts, their own ways. John Calvin says, Here Paul puts his finger upon the true sore as the whole mischief originated in this, that they were wise in their own conceit. That is, they've become too wise for the gospel. The, the message of the gospel, Christ crucified, the word of the cross, God's way of salvation. From start to finish, we're all sinners. I mean, the gospel simply is we're all sinners, right? We're all in rebellion against God. And God's remedy for that is that He sends His own Son into the world to die for us, to take away our sin, to remove our sin, and to apply His righteousness. So our sin goes to His account. His righteousness goes to our account. Jesus lays down His life for His sheep on the cross of Calvary. The third day, He's raised from the dead. And all of this has become um, foolishness to them. And it is not up to their, their standard. It doesn't, doesn't sound um, credible to them. They're wise in their own conceits. And so Paul says, don't be Deceive. Let no one deceive himself. Let no one deceive himself. That's interesting, isn't it? Don't, don't let yourself be deceived. Don't give in to that kind of thinking, Paul is saying. Prove all things, John says. And hold fast to that which is good. Alright? Don't let yourself 
be deceived. So the problem seems to be within the church and not from outside. It may be that there are some uh, <coughs> false teachers coming in. We don't know for sure, but primarily seems to be the problem is within the church. That They've just adopted a wrong view, wrong thinking. And every believer, same is true today, every believer is responsible to not be deceived. It's an amazing privilege that we have <laughs> to be able to put our hands on the Word of God and read it for ourselves. Study it. Come together and study. When we come together like we're doing right now, um, you know, I, I, myself or whoever the speaker is, we, we, we give um, a message based on what we believe God has, has, has shown us, revealed to us through the Scripture. But every believer has a responsibility to take that and weigh it for themselves. Paul says, let no one be deceived. Let no one deceive himself. Every person, every believer is responsible to not be deceived. And again, part of the deception is self-conceit, as Calvin pointed out. So Paul goes on to say, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise, and there again, this is at the center of the issue, thinking um, ourselves to be more wise than the revelation of God, the wisdom of God, the gospel. And people can always come up with better ways, can't they? You know, you, sh- you share the, the gospel with an unbeliever and oftentimes, and sometimes with a believer. Sometimes even with a believer, you get these kinds of responses. Well, well, you know what? I, I, think, God, I think God wouldn't do that. I think God would, would do that. Or I feel, like somebody was saying the other day in a particular conversation uh, that a friend of mine was involved with, he was sharing truths with them from the Scripture, and, and he kept getting this response. Well, you know, I feel that God would do this or that. You know, <laughs> And we, we become more wise than God Himself. It, it can be very, very subtle. So Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, that is, according to the wisdom of this world, or the, you could say, or the opinion of this world. If anyone thinks himself wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now there, Paul is using irony. And like I said, it, it can be kind of confusing on the surface. If you think that you're wise, become a fool. <clears throat> if you think yourself to be some great wise person, Become a fool. Again, it's the word from which we get our word moron. Become a moron, Paul says. <laughs> you think you're wise? That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? You think you're wise? Become a fool. Well, again, he's meaning by the standards of this world. If you think yourself wise according to the wisdom of this age, then the best thing for you to do is become a fool in the eyes of the world. That is, forsake that wisdom and embrace that which the world considers to be foolish, which, which is the true wisdom. That's what he's really saying. He doesn't want us all to be fools. 
He's just saying, if this gospel is foolish in the eyes of the world, and it is, and if we are fools in the eyes of the world for believing it, and we are, then Paul is saying, by their standards then, it's best for you to be a fool. Forsake the wisdom of this age. Become a fool. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Now he's getting down to what really counts. Is it really important to be considered wise by worldly standards? Or would it be better, that is, if, if, if the one contradicts the other, would it be better to be wise in the eyes of God or in the eyes of the world? If the two are in conflict, would it be better to be considered a fool by the world or considered to be a fool in the eyes of God? So, Paul says, become a fool for, verse 19, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. That is, the true foolishness is not God and God's ways. The true foolishness is the way that the, the kind of thinking that comes natural for us, our thinking, our wisdom. So, um, Paul, again, just reinforcing his whole argument that God's way is indeed the true wisdom and that the way of the world is in reality not wisdom but foolishness. Just to reinforce that, he cites a couple of passages here uh, from the Old Testament. The first being Job 5.13, this, this phrase, this sentence is taken from Job 5.13 in verse 20. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. That's kind of a loose quote because if you look at Job 5.13, it says the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile. And Paul um, replaces that with the wise to to fit his argument. But he's not... You say, well, why would he do that? He's changing the meaning. Well, not really. Not really. Because it is the wisdom of men that is in question here. And the Lord knows the thoughts of those who think themselves wise or that are wise in their own conceits. That is man. He knows the thoughts of man. And we're all prone to this. Paul says, for the, wisdom, um, for the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. He catches... Again, in verse 19, he catches the wise in their craftiness, in their cleverness. And Paul's just showing the superiority of the wisdom of God and the sovereignty of God by saying, when man is at his best in his wisdom and his cleverness, God uses that to catch him, to snare him. It's like Psalm 2. Why did the heathen rage, right? The nations rage. Why do they raise themselves up against the Lord and against His Christ? And then he goes on to say, the psalmist goes on to say, that God will have them in derision. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He catches them in their own craftiness. While man thinks himself to be wise, the true wisdom is with God. God's wisdom is superior. So, Paul says, the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it's written, He catches the wise in His own craftiness. That's Job 5.13. And then Psalm 94.11 and verse 20, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are 
futile. Futile. Not wisdom at all. And then comes the second part. So, this is a conclusion based on everything that he said. So, let no one boast in men. The first part was, let no one be deceived or let no one deceive himself. Let no one deceive himself because God's wisdom is the true wisdom. The wisdom of this world is the true folly or foolishness. So, with all that in mind, since that's the case, let no one boast in men. And he's following up on the last part of his argument. And if you go back to um, verse 4, he points out, um, again, the personality-driven divisions among them here. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? So there, there are these schisms, divisions among them centered around certain men that they consider to be wise. And they consider to be one wise or more wise over the other. And so one says, I'm a follower of Apollos. Another says, I'm a follower of Paul. And Paul says, you're misunderstanding our work. You're misunderstanding the nature of the church. That's not what it's all about. We're not, this is not personality driven. Apollos and I are nothing. We're servants. And so here again, he's following up on that, saying, don't boast in men. Don't boast in men. Let no one boast in men. For, he's going to give some reasoning here, and I'm going to tell you straight up, this is a, to me, a fascinating passage, and, and I don't know that, um, I don't know that I've, personally, you know, skim the surface of it here, but I'm going to share with you what I think he's getting at, but I think that, um, again, <laughs> probably going to, going to come far, far shy of, of getting the fullness of it, because he makes some astounding statements here, at least uh, in my mind. Don't boast in men, don't be deceived, um, thinking more highly of yourselves than you ought, being enamored with the wisdom of this world. Chasing after those whom you think to be wise. Saying that you belong to them. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. You want to be followers of them. You want to belong to them. Paul is saying, don't do that because all things are yours. Now, here's where it gets real tricky, I think, and and fascinating. For all things are yours. He's speaking to the church. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Cephas, of course, is Peter. Or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. That's amazing. And it's just like Paul, too, when he, when he is considering certain truths to just break into a, a uh, usually a, a, a profound doxology that is just praise to God. And this is, if this is not that, it is, it is bordering on that. <laughs> 
So, while he's considering who we are, who he is as a servant of Christ, the nature of the church, the wisdom of God set over against the wisdom of the world, and while he's considering all these things, he just, he just breaks into these profound statements under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. And this is not just, uh, you know, vain speech here. He's thinking about the greatness of God and the great privilege or privileges of the church. What, what we have been called to and what we are. And so in Paul's mind, I think here, he's thinking how foolish it is, number one, to be enamored with the wisdom of this world when we possess the wisdom of God. Right? We have Back in chapter 2, the last verse there, verse 16, he says, we have the mind of Christ. And, of course, he's making reference there to the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God in us and among us making known truths about God to us. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, would you rather go to uh, some guru in Sedona, Arizona, or, you know, some other New Age center and listen to some guru talk about what they claim a 30,000-year-old wise man has shown to them or is channeling through them? Well, a lot of, the, a lot of people out there would. They pay big money for that kind of thing. Or would you rather have the true wisdom of God as revealed by God Would you, rather, would you rather have that? And Paul is saying that's what we have. The true wisdom of God. Revelation of God by His Spirit. So how foolish it is to, to trade that off for the wisdom of the world. Or on the other hand, to boast in men how great these men are, how, how eloquent, how skilled they are at rhetoric, how profound their speech, how foolish it is to boast in men when, Paul says, all things are yours. Now, see, there's, there's kind of a, a, a switching taking place here. Because you see what the Corinthians are doing. Again, you go back to verse 4. I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas. They're looking to belong to, to somebody that, that they hold in high esteem. Apollos is a great man. He's a great orator, very eloquent. And I'm, I'm, of, I'm of his school. Well, the, the truths that... that Paul brings across are amazing. I'm, a, I'm of his school. I like Peter, you know. He's just kind of all out there. He doesn't hold back. and I'm of his school. They're wanting to belong to, to some, and, and this is the irony of it, to some fellow servant 
that they have set up on a pedestal. And that's why Paul says, Apollos and I are one. We're not, we're not working against each other here. We're not doing two different things. We're one. And we're just servants. God is the owner. God owns the field. We're just workers. We're just co-workers. So Paul is turning this around. You want to belong to Apollos, some of you. Some of you want to belong to me, Paul. Some of you want to belong to Peter. I'm telling you, Paul says, we belong to you. All things are yours. The church. You, you possess Paul, Apollos, and Peter. <laughs> And everything else that God has gifted the church with. And God uses the Holy Spirit, uses that language. You go to Ephesians 4. Christ gave gifts unto men. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers. Gifts to the church for the work of the ministry. That is, um, to, to train the church to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Paul is saying, we all belong to you. You don't, you don't need to belong to us. You belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, we belong to you. In fact, because you belong to Christ, all things belong to you. Now, this is what I was getting at earlier. This is an astounding statement, I think. I think what's behind this is, Passages like Ephesians 1.11 that tell us God works all things according to the counsel of His own will. Or Romans 8.28 where Paul assures the church in Rome that all things work together for your good. I mean, that's the idea he's saying. All things work together for good to those who love God. That is the church. And to those who are the called according to His purpose. The church. God is working all things for your good. He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. In Christ, Paul is saying, all things are yours. And I think what he means by that is, all things are for your benefit. It's not, it's not that we, we possess everything in the sense that we're the, the ultimate owner. No, God is the ultimate owner. And Paul makes that clear um, you go back to verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. God is the owner in that sense. So in what way do we possess it? Well, it, because it's given to us. So, so we, we reap the benefits of everything. God is moving everything along according to His plan. So even those things, like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, even those things that appear to us to be bad are ours. That is, they're working for our benefit. God is using them for the furtherance of His kingdom. He's using things for salvation of souls and for the growth of people, the spiritual growth of people that already know Him. All things are yours. You say, well, 
Perhaps you're reading too much into that phrase. I, I don't think so because of the explanation that Paul goes on to give. Now, first, he just mentions the, the ones that, are, are, that the divisions are concerning here. Paul, Apollos, Cephas. And as I said, he switches things around. You want to belong to us. No, I'm telling you, we belong to you. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. But he, but he doesn't put the period there. He doesn't say, you know, this is what all I mean by that. All things I'm, all, by all things, I mean the ministers in the church. So, Apollos, Paul, Peter belong to you. But, but he doesn't limit it to that. It includes that, but it's not limited to that. Now, I looked at John Calvin's commentary on this verse, and he, he goes on to say, Basically that. Basically what, what I just said, I, I don't think is the case because Calvin says that the rest of this, the rest of this verse, 22 and then into 23, um, or 22 rather, all things being the world or life or death, the present, the future. Calvin, just, just his comment, and, and, and if you've ever read any Calvin's commentaries, <clears throat> um, he's a prolific writer, so his comments are long. Often. This one was very short. <laughs> very short by any standard, not just for Calvin. Very short. He just basically said Paul is using hyperbole to make his point. So, so Paul is just, 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 just for the sake of emphasis, including these other things. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, I think he means what he says here. These things belong to us. All things are yours. Now, verse 22 and 23 is explanatory. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, see there's no period there, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. That's, that's, that's an amazing statement. I don't want to overuse the word there, but I'm telling you, uh, it, that's an amazing statement. Now, it's not... Let's don't con, confuse the issue here. That's not to say that all things are about us. It's not all about us. It's all about God. And Paul makes that point in his little chain here of who belongs to who. Because at the ultimate end is not you and me. It's God. So it's it's not all about us. Things are not all centered around our pleasure and our comfort, and it's things are not all happening for our glory. And you might be thinking, well, well, what things? Keep in mind here what Paul says. What things? Well, all things. The world, life, death, the present, the future, all things. But it's not that all things are centered around us in the sense that it's all about us being glorified. It's all about us feeling good. It's all about us being comfortable. It's not what he's saying. Paul, as he always does, he, 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 has, he has something bigger in view. He has eternity in view. He has the kingdom of God in view. He has the glory of God in view. So when he says all things are yours, I think he's saying all things are working for the benefit of the church meaning that, that God is doing all things ultimately for His glory and for the good of the church. So, Apollos, 
Cephas, Paul, gifts to the church to equip us. And again, you read Ephesians 4, that's the, case, that's the way it is um, with, with the leadership given to the church for the edification of the body. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Gifts to the church for growth, for the building up. And I, I, I think that means expansion in the sense that more people are being evangelized, as well as you know, spiritual growth, that is, we come to maturity. You're growing up, equipped through, this, through these uh, gifts given to the church. And what about the rest? The world, our life, our death, our the present, or the future. It's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't, it seems to cover all the bases. He says all, all things are yours. And then he just he goes through this explanatory series and covers all the bases and then reiterates all are yours. And the wording here reminds me of... Uh, let me go there real quick. <clears throat> Similar to his wording in Romans 8, when he is when he's stating that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So there it's put somewhat negatively. I think basically the same the same idea put positively here in First Corinthians. And he says in Romans eight after making the statement that God works all things for our good, he says, What shall we say then to these things in Romans eight thirty one? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Now, there it's put positively. He didn't spare His own Son. And if He didn't do that, how shall He not graciously give us all things? Verse 33. Paul takes it. To his logical conclusion here. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, here it is again. This time, put it negatively. Shall tribulation, that is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, our sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, Paul pulls that again from the Old Testament to show that the persecution, the suffering in this life, it's real. It's not accidental. It's God's plan. Can it separate us from the love of Christ? No, verse 37. No, in all these things, that is, in tribulation, in distress, in persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there he puts it in in a negative context. What can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. Here, puts it in a more positive way. All of these things, and some of the very same, I think he has all of the same things in view. Some of the very same things, like life and death, are listed. All of these things, not only can they not separate you from the love of Christ, but they are part of your possession in Christ. There's a real sense in which the church owns all of these things in the sense that they work for our benefit. Paul says, all is yours. Why why do you want to belong to something out there in the world and become servants of some kind of uh, worldly thing or worldly system when all is yours? The The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he says, all is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, that's the word cosmos there. I mean, it's used in different ways, but it just the, the whole order of things. The world... It's the same word used, by the way, in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. It's yours, Paul says. Or life, it's yours. It's yours now. To live is Christ. In Christ, it's yours now. That is, life, as long as you are in Christ, is a gift from God for your enjoyment, for your benefit. It's yours now. Death. Now, death spoken of as the enemy. We often think of it in those terms, rightly so. And yet, I think Paul's point here, even that is, is not to be thought of in, in some overly negative way by the Christian. So he says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's mine, Paul says. To live in Christ, in Christ, it's mine. Life is mine. For me to live is Christ and to die is mine. It's gain. It's not going to separate me from the love of Christ. It's not going to work against me because God is working all things for my good. It's a gift. It's yours. It belongs to the church. The world, life, death, the present, in Christ, it's a gift of Christ. belongs to the church. All things in the present are working for our benefit, for our good. Because it's all working for the furtherance of God's plan, for the, for the, for the kingdom Kingdom growth, kingdom expansion. It's all moving toward an end, a goal. 
and the future. The future belongs to us. In fact, we ought, we ought to live with that mindset, with, with the future in view. Not only here, not only here in this life, but the future beyond that, eternity. It's a gift in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then it's yours. That is, it's, it's the church. You're part of the church, and these things belong to the church. All is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ. That's the key. It's all yours because you belong to Christ. So the implication would be, if, if you're not in Christ, if you don't belong to Christ, then none of these promises belong to you. It, it's not all yours. It's not, it's not working for your good. So often I hear, uh, have heard uh, many people claim passages like Romans 8.28. And I'm, I mean, sometimes people, you, you don't see any evidence in their life that they really love the Lord or that they're walking with Him, following the Lord. It's just when they hit a hard time that they want a, a promise to cling to. I mean, it's a superstitious thing. People who don't seem to have any interest in the Lord will say things like, well, I know God won't put more on me than I can bear. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, you know, obviously it's not... Uh, a lot of times appropriate to say it, but I'm, I'm thinking to myself that, that that promises for believers. That promises for believers. Same way with Romans 8.28, that's for believers. You are Christ. Paul is saying all is yours because you are Christ. And Christ is God's. And if you take that in reverse, Christ belongs to God. He's... He, Jesus, you might say, well, isn't Jesus God? Yes, but he's, he's, he's in subjection to the Father. And I think when Paul uses the term God here, Theos, he's referring to the Father. Christ is God's. He's in subjection to the Father. And we are Christ. Christ has ownership of us. And we're in subjection to Him. And because we are in Christ and in subjection to Him, all things are ours. It kind of reminds you of Jesus' statement to the elder son in the prodigal in the in the uh, the parable of the two sons, the prodigal son. We often call the prodigal son. It was really two prodigal sons in that parable. And and Jesus says the father in the parable. It's the father making the statement, but the, the father says to the elder son, "All that I have is yours. It's all yours." You're always with me, and all that I have is yours. The, the, the implication is you, you, and, and what Jesus is doing with the parable is targeting the Pharisees. And the impl- implication is you, you've just, you've just wasted. It's always been there. It's there, but you've just, you've just wasted your relationship with me. And so you've not enjoyed the benefits. The benefits are there. They've always been there. 
And that's kind of what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians. You're, you're, you're just you're waste you're wasting the real benefits here. Chasing after worldly wisdom, participating in these divisions in the church. It's a waste of time and it's foolishness when you've got the Spirit of God, when you've got the wisdom of God, when you've got the mind of Christ, when all things, even these things you want to belong to and separate yourselves according to, all things belong to you because all belongs to Christ. Your Christ, Christ is God's. It's all yours. So the focus should be on Him. And that's why Paul says, let no one boast in men. Who's at the top of this chain? God. Boast in Him. Boast in Christ. Boast in the cross. The work of God in redeeming a people to Himself. That's the true wisdom might be foolishness to the world, but it's the true wisdom. Boast in that, Paul says. Own that. Would you stand, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.